0: visitors, good for you. This has nothing to do with you, but glad you're here. Uh, Glad to see you. Uh, Today, as uh, we have discussed before, uh, we're having a panel discussion because we have some candidates for officers uh, in Redeemer. And before we get into the format for today, what we're going to be doing, what we're going to be going through, I'm going to open in prayer and then I'm going to open with the reading of 1 Timothy chapter 3, the first section. So please join me in prayer. Gracious Lord and God, we thank you for the blessing of your church. We thank you that you have called us to be a part of it, that you have uh, brought men to lead it. Uh, We thank you for those who serve and have served in the past here at Redeemer as elders and deacons. We thank you for these men before us uh, who you have gifted and called, uh, and uh, we wait to see if you will call them outwardly through the congregation, but we pray that you would uh, give us all discernment and wisdom. uh, Give them... uh, Words of grace, as they speak about what you've done in their lives today, help us to hear uh, with glad hearts and to rejoice together in your work in your church. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Well, 1 Timothy chapter 3, I'm going to read uh, the first 13 verses. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, Well, uh, today, we, as uh, I've mentioned before, are having this panel discussion. Uh, And why are we having this panel discussion? Because uh, we're about to move in January uh, to a congregational meeting to elect men to serve as deacons and elders in our church. And that's a very public action of our church. It's not something that's done just sort of over in a corner somewhere. Uh, It's not something that the elders just do, in fact. Uh, but uh, we are Presbyterian, we're elder-led, but when it comes to the election of new officers, uh, we have in our founding documents, the Constitution of our Church, the Book of Church Order, uh, the fact, uh, the idea that, that the folks in the Church, the members of the Church, have a right to elect the men who will lead and serve among them. This is one of the things that, uh, that we see, even going back to Acts with the, uh, the raising up of the first deacons. Uh, that the apostles uh, tell the people in Jerusalem there when there's a conflict over the distribution of the alms for the widows and for the, uh, for the Greek widows versus the Hebrew widows, and the apostles say, choose from yourselves men of good repute, full of the Holy Spirit, full of wisdom to, to uh, take up this matter. And so as a church, we're doing that. We're choosing from among ourselves men, both for the office of elder and for deacon, uh, those who will serve among us. Um, I told you all to grab a handout on the way in, but I didn't grab a handout. Can I I get yours? Sorry. Thank you. A noble woman, who can find? Um, (laughs) Thank you. And so one of the things that I I want you to see as as you came in uh, is that what we're doing follows a a script, basically, from our Book of Church Order. Now, you may notice as you look at the, the top of this handout, Uh, that it says November 22nd, 2020, and that's not today. Uh, Today is December 12th, 2021, for those who are paying attention. Uh, But November 22nd was the last time you saw this handout, because November 22nd was uh, the congregational meeting where we announced that we were entering into this period of raising up men, nominating men uh, who will then be trained and will be approved for the offices of elder and deacon. And I want to read just quickly this first section here. It says uh, from the BCO, section 24.1, every church shall elect persons to the offices of ruling elder and deacon in the following manner. At such times as determined by the session, that's what we did in November, communicant members of the congregation may submit names to the session, keeping in mind that each prospective officer should be an active male member who meets the qualifications set forth in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1. After the close of the nomination period, nominees for the Office of Ruling Elder and or Deacon shall receive instruction in the qualification and work of the office. Each nominee shall then be examined in Christian experience, knowledge of Bible content, knowledge of the system of doctrine, government, and discipline, the duties of the office to which they've been nominated, and their willingness to give assent to the questions required for ordination. If there are candidates eligible for election, the session shall report to the congregation those eligible, giving at least 30 days prior notice of the time and place of a congregational meeting for elections. You are so notified. In fact, we, uh, we sent out notice uh, last week, and we've had a, an insert in our bulletin letting you know that on January 9th, following worship, we'll have a congregational meeting to elect the men who have been trained, examined, and approved, and those men are before you now. Uh, you may remember that at the beginning we actually had five nominees Bill Sykes was also nominated to the office of deacon, uh, and no, he was, he was not uh, turned down by the elders. There was no examination where we said, Bill, we like you, but sorry, you're, you're not qualified. Uh, part of this training process that these men have been on over the past year is also a time of discernment, uh, to see if the Lord is calling them, to see if uh, they have the gifting, to see if they have the stage in life and, uh, and the desire Uh, and the ability to serve in various ways. And during that time, men are able to withdraw themselves. And so without any prejudice whatsoever, just based on uh, life stage and some of the other things that that Bill has going on, Bill withdrew himself, uh, and so he he hasn't been turned down. Um, But the rest of the men sitting before you, you need to know these are your session's candidates. These men are approved uh, to serve as elders, as an elder or as deacons, And so what we're doing today is not grilling them. Jay mentioned playing Stump the Chump. There might be some of that. Uh, We're not grilling them to see if they qualify, because the session has already determined that they qualify. We believe that all of these men are solid, godly men. None of them perfect. None of us are. Uh, But the session believes that all of them are qualified to serve in the offices they've been nominated to. And we encourage you, come January 9th, uh, to elect them. But uh, that's your decision. And so, what we're doing now with this 30 days notice, this is kind of like the point in the beginning of a wedding ceremony uh, where the minister stands and says, If anyone can find any reason why these two should not be wed, speak now or forever hold your peace. Uh, You've got until January 9th to speak now or forever hold your peace. And on the back of this insert are some things that you need to consider. These really are godly qualifications, character qualifications taken from 1 Timothy and from Titus, uh, and they're systematized and and pointed out so you can see, well, well, what does this look like? Uh, Who are the men that we ought to call to serve among us? With all that in the back of our minds, uh, sort of thinking through the process, what I've asked these men to do first today is to share a bit about God's work in their lives and a bit about their own sense of calling to the offices they've been nominated to. Tim Bleecker has been at the beginning of the near the beginning of the alphabet most of his life. Has it ever been different? (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Uh, And we're going to go in alphabetical order. And so I've asked Tim first to share uh, each of these men in turn. uh, They're going to grab the microphone for those who are playing along at home. Um, And and each of them are going to share what has God done in their life, uh, and and how did they come to the place where they're able to say you know, actually, I think it might be good to serve as a deacon, as an elder. What's the Lord done outwardly through the church or inwardly in their own life uh, to give them a sense of calling to the offices? So Tim, would you get us started, please? Sure.
1: (laughs) So I did wonder why I was first. Um, (laughs) Matthew says it's alphabetical, but I realized when you're the leadoff batter, you only need to get a walk or a bun single to look good. (laughs) So
2: uh, <laughs> you're the cleanup,
1: Landon. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, well, I grew up um, very blessed with a Christian family. Every um, when I was younger, everybody I knew in my family was a Christian. So, um, my mother says that when I was three, I told her I wanted to become saved. So I don't actually remember that, but I do remember saying that when I was five, um, praying to to become a Christian um so uh, my, I think my challenge growing up was not to think that I was such a good person because everybody was good. We were all Christians um, in in high school, I got more serious, and um, youth group was helpful. We went to the shore and evangelized and stuff like that, which terrified me. But um, one thing that was really helpful to me growing up was that... Uh, I grew up in a Baptist church, and my parents did not always agree with what the the minister said. And on the way home and at the dinner table, they would talk about it and um, explain why they didn't agree with certain things. Uh, So it helped me to be more um, critical in a good way about what I believed and to be sure about it. Um, A really big thing that happened uh, in high school for me was I... Uh, in the middle of the football season, I got a bone infection, and they didn't know what it was, though. They just knew that my wrist hurt, my leg hurt, everything hurt, and I was in the hospital for a few weeks. Um, so that was a time when I really had to have faith that God was in control. Uh, two years later, when I was a junior, I had to go back to the hospital for six weeks, and um, I saw the, the love of my parents, who kept coming every day to see me, it was about an hour from home. Um, but also, you know, just lying there uh, in the hospital, I had to, a lot of time to think about God and to pray. And I, that, that was very helpful for me, actually. Um, I went to a Christian college. Uh, another time when I felt like I uh, learned to rely more on God was traveling a lot, toward the end of college and then after college, I uh, spent quite a few months traveling around Europe alone, so I relied on God for that, because I didn't really know what I was doing. <laughs> um, I've been uh, through a lot of different denominations. Growing up, we were Baptist, then um, we went to a n- non-denominational <clears throat> um, Bible church. When I went to college, I usually went to a Lutheran church. It's just, they were good preacher, you know, good good sermons. I didn't really think about denominations, then. Um, When I came up here for graduate school, I went to an an Episcopal church in Boston, and that was uh, very beautiful, and I thought the the sermons were really good. Sandy didn't like it, though. When we got married, she was uh, from Pentecostal background and did not appreciate the uh, high church. So, eventually we settled on Trinity Church in Bolton, and that that was um, a wonderful place, and we, spent our early married life there. Then um, this church came out of Trinity Church and we were there at the beginning. She played the piano, I sat there and nodded. (laughs) I didn't really do much. I mean, that kind of sums up my life here. (laughs) I like being on the outskirts, Um, but we'll get, I'll come back to that. Anyway, we went off to Japan for a year and when we came back, there was a full-fledged church at the Fen School. and here we are, and uh, I hadn't thought of myself as a Presbyterian, but I am now, and I'm very glad of that. <laughs> I see how God God worked all that out. Um, over the years here at, at Redeemer, I was in the choir. That was something, and then eventually Sunday school, um, I remember teaching Matthew Campelli in fifth grade. That was a long time ago. Uh, yeah. Um, and then eventually I got sucked into the missions committee. And lately I've been uh, somewhat incompetently doing the sound. I apologize for that feedback last week. <laughs> um, so that's that's kind of my uh, testimony of how God has brought me here. The reason I decided to uh, go for deacon, well, Jay told me I should say, I looked around at the deacons and said, if they can do it, anybody can do it. It wasn't quite like that. I looked around at the deacons and I said, those are good guys, I like those guys. Jay and Jerry and David and, and John. And uh, they look like they could use some help. So th- that was part of it. I really did, did want to help them out. Um, and I also think you know what they do is incredibly important. Um, when Sandy had cancer uh, in 2003, so a long time ago, and at the very same time, our septic system died, and the deacons helped us a great deal, um, it was incredibly helpful. Our Bible study helped too, but, um, so I've always thought I wanted to, to do that, to, to be a kind of person who helps people like that. Um, this isn't something that I saw to be a deacon because I thought I'd be worthy at it or good at it. Mostly it's because Jay and Matthew pestered me, but uh, it's, it's also, uh, you know, the willard works in mysterious ways, doesn't he? Um, this has been our church home for 27 years, and I I, f- I tried it not to use the word felt, but I, I did believe that God wanted me to live more deliberately, more intentionally uh, serving for him and, and being a Christian and, and live in a way that's pleasing to God, and this seemed to a way that we could do that. So I think that is all I wanted to say. hope that's okay. Can I pass it to? Yeah, you pass, yeah. To Frank is next, yeah.
2: So I have a very different experience than Tim, and it's just, uh, you know, it's just a testimony to you know, how God works di- differently in our lives. I mean, I grew up in an Irish Catholic family. Mm-hmm. Um, my father's brother is a Catholic priest. My mom's sister is a Catholic nun. Um, I went to Catholic school all the way through, um, including college, um, and, you know, I would attend, you know, weekly mass as, you know, but more as, as an obligation, but, you know, after I graduated, um, I, would, I don't know if I would say I would, I would drift, but I would only go to, you know, church if, the, if the, the priest had, you know, had good homilies, so I guess even back then, even though I didn't realize it, I was um, looking for something, you know, and then, you know when I, when I met uh, Kathy you know she actually you know encouraged me to go to church so we would you know go to church together um, and then we you know and we moved and and um, you know and had kids and um, you know then began this this sequence of amazing coincidences you know I had you know decided to uh, to to leave my job I was just about to put in my notice and all of a sudden my company was offering a, a, a buyout because they were trying to avoid layoffs. So I got this buyout and then we uh, moved to New Jersey and we were looking, we were just looking for places to rent because we needed a place to live. And, you know, we'd spent a whole fruitless day going along with a realtor, didn't really find anything that was remotely appealing. We go to a McDonald's with a, play area so that the kids could play. Kathy starts talking to this young mother there. Oh, well, we're, we're re- relocating. Uh, you should buy our house. And we just reduced the price $10,000. So that's the house that we lived in. Um, and then we wanted to attend the, the Catholic church there. And we actually felt physically unwelcome. We started to you know we wanted to talk to the to the people there They said oh well you know we're relocating from vermont and they said why did you why did you leave there why did you come here we're like what's, what's what's up with this so um so that's when you know we we did feel convicted that we needed to go to to church but the only thing i had known and grown up with was the catholic church and so then very reluctantly i said okay well we could look into Protestant churches, you know. We didn't know anything about denominations or anything like that, we just knew that they were all heretics, but. um, So, as we were, you know, as we were investigating, trying to, you know, find all these these different ones, the final uh, big coincidence that happened. Kathy's best friend in Vermont, who had been evangelizing Kathy the whole time, her pastor, was best friends with the pastor of an independent Bible church who just happened to be a reformed five point calvinist. So we said okay, we'll try this church. They had someone at the door who greeted us when we came in and we actually felt welcome there. So we you know, we started attending there and you know, the pastor is discipling me even though I'm you know, I, at the time, I was still thinking, you know, in my Catholic mind, I said, well, I, I, I don't know. I, fe- I felt that I was a shoe in for purgatory. You know, I didn't think I had done anything really heinous, but that just shows how little I actually knew about, you know, what saving faith was. So then we went to um, uh, this, this event at the church on a Saturday night, and uh, the, the guest speaker, uh, John uh, Ratzinger, Spoke on uh, Acts 16, where Paul and Silas were in the Philippian prison. And then, uh, you know, they have the earthquake, and the the jailer there wonders, you know, what am I going to do? All the prisoners are going to be free. And the, the Philippian jailer asks, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. Well, I couldn't sleep that night, because that phrase just kept echoing in my head all night long. So we go to uh, church the next day, and then uh, the you know the, the pastor says, "Well, what did you think about that? You know, what, about the presentation last night?" I said, Well, wow, this phrase just kept echoing in in my head, uh, you know, all night." And he said, "Well, did you did you believe? Do you believe?" I said, "Yeah, I, I do." So. Um, so that would, you know, began the, you know, the, the path to, you know, to really understanding, you know, what it meant, uh, to be saved, um, and then, well, skipping about 20 plus years or so, then, you know, then we, we made it to, uh, Redeemer, um, and I don't know, like, um, you know, kind of like Tim, I, you know, I'd prefer to be, you know, in, in the background, actually be perfectly honest, I probably shouldn't say this to everybody, but <laughs> I, I would much rather be served than to serve. <laughs> but, I, I mean, seriously, as, as Tim said, I think that's really important part of, um, you know, uh, of the sanctification process and of the, the growth in, in the Christian faith uh, to actually look outside yourself to, to serve other people because that's what Jesus did his, his entire ministry. Um, on Earth, so you know. So I've you know I'm just as incompetent as Tim in doing the audiovisual, and especially when when I'm at home, then it's like I realize, uh, you know, I the to text Jay. Um, there's no sound coming through, and, you know. So uh, so I apologize for anyone from when I'm running the sound. Uh, if there're mix-ups there, it's there's a lot of buttons to push. Um, so. Uh, you know, helping to teach Sunday school and stuff, and and it just, you know, as to, for my calling, you know, I remember Andrew and Chris came over uh, to my house one night, and I thought it was just a social occasion, and they said, "Have you thought about being an officer in the church?" And I was like, um, "Where did that come from?" So, um, hopefully, you all know more than me about that. So, but anyway, I'm I'm really glad on, um, that God has given me this this uh, opportunity, and uh, just. Want to you know continue to try and help, um, whether it's
0: in a formal capacity or not. So
2: oh, look at the time. There you
0: go. <laughs> Just that that meeting with Chris and Andrew. That's what Presbyterians call a beer and switch. <laughs>
1: so,
3: so. Nick. Let's right, follow that up. Um, <laughs> so, yesterday yesterday morning. Ashley and I went to breakfast at a little bakery in downtown Lowell, and they have nice Christmas decorations and things like that, and near the register, and a little Christmas tree cutout, there's a sign that says, believe in the magic of Christmas. Believe in the magic of Christmas. Now, there's a couple of reactions that I know I can see that um, as I'm looking out here, but for me, One of the things was thinking about trying to compare how I was thinking about that yesterday as opposed to how I was thinking about that five years ago. So five years ago, as I would say an agnostic uh, cynic, I would have looked at that phrase and seen the futility of it, um, seen the the fact that there's there's really not a lot there. And at the same time, I was, there was still something, and this was true throughout my adult life, where you almost want to recapture that sort of magic that you had when you were a little kid, that nostalgia that you have, uh, there's something, something there. Um, and then I was thinking about how I reacted to that statement yesterday. And of course there's many, Ways I could have reacted, but one of them actually was with just the ideas that it brought to my head, and, and those were a joy and a sense of wonderment. Um, a, a sense of wonderment now, obviously, at this time of year, just for the fact that God would write Himself into His own creation, um, and a sense of joy for the gospel. So, as I was thinking about that, and I, and I was thinking also about all those people around me at this coffee shop, and thinking about how I was five years ago, and I was almost thinking of it, you've seen those posters, or maybe you've seen the um, icebergs, right? You have the the top part that's sticking out of the water, and then you have this huge foundation that's below the surface. And I feel like that's where I am now with this sense of joy, um, wonderment, uh, of you know, around this time of year, especially, uh, and comparing that to what I was five years ago, where I felt like it was more like a, sort of a shard of that ice just floating on the surface. Like there was a, a piece of that iceberg sort of had broken off, and I was able to kind of experience something, but realized there was no foundation whatsoever to it. So that, that's where I, where I am. And so the, the question, then is, you know, how did God lead me here? And really about, about five years ago, September 18th, uh, 2016, I believe, uh, I, it was Ashley, my uh, future wife at the time, and I came to Redeemer. Uh, she's a, a lifelong believer, and as I already said, I was an agnostic cynic. It took her a little while to figure that out because I had always said that I was of Greek Orthodox faith, um, or Greek Orthodox. I may not have used the word faith, um, and that's more of a sort of a cultural association. I would say. So once she figured that out, she said, "Well, oh, let's go to, to to church," and she she found this um, online, and I said, "Sure." Um, I had no idea it was going to change my life, but I just decided to go. So. That's when it started that day. We, we were um, Pastor Kerr was preaching through 1 Corinthians. Um, and so that's where the, the, the process, I believe, started. And then a little bit into that, Pastor Kerr, had, we, we met for coffee one morning. And I think little did, did I know, and maybe little did he know, that that would start a three-year, every other week uh, morning Bible study. So you can think of the time and energy that went went into that um, from from our pastor's perspective. Um, but all of those mornings, so we went through uh, first we went through Romans then James then Isaiah, then Judges and then finally we went through Herman Boving's concise 650 page uh, <laughs> systematic theology <laughs> which was the wonderful works of God, which fits into that idea, this sense of wonder uh, that I now get from uh, from reading Scripture. So, sort of taking a step back, two years after we we started coming, I, I professed faith in front of this congregation in this very building, and so that's two years into it, so that was about three years ago, and continued my study, continued the process with Pastor Kerr, and about. Um, one year ago was nominated for, for this um, officer position and prayed about just accepting first the nomination to go through the training, which we've been doing for a year now. Um, and one of the things that's been going through my mind as I'm growing in the faith, and one of the things that's sort of been st- stuck with me um, and, and sort of convicting is what scripture tells us about the fact that as Christians, we're we're not our own. Uh, We were, to sort of paraphrase, I guess, we were purchased with a price, and and what a price, right? Uh, And therefore, it's our duty to glorify God with our bodies, our souls, and, and essentially to dedicate our lives to that. So... This I see as part of that. Uh, this small part of that, um, and that's why I say, if, you know, if God sees fit, I am I, I'd honor to serve Christ church in, in the way that's um, been set up here.
4: It's wonderful to hear all the different ways God works in the lives of His people. Um, I guess I'm more, we're bookends here, I guess, Tim. I'm more similar to your story, but um, I was raised in a Christian home. Um, My dad is a minister, was a seminary professor. He's retired now, but um, so I was brought up in the church, and um, it was a Baptist church as well, similar to Tim, again. Um, But I would say probably throughout my youth, um, even, you know, through college years, I wasn't really walking wholeheartedly with the Lord, a little bit going through the motions I think and then um, I met Cynthia in college and we were married and then somewhere in our early married life um, I began to feel um, uh, God working more in my life to draw me near to him um, even though I'd professed faith and in, in at a young age also similar to Tim him um, was baptized um, uh In our early married life, um, God really began to work in my life to um, kind of re-energize me and draw me near to himself. So um, I think those years were characterized by uh, uh, really just uh, hunger to know God more, to know his word, um, and then naturally... Um, working out of that to begin loving his church and serving him however um, I could. So, um, uh, let's see. At, at some point, um, we, well, one of the ways, one of the uh, amazing uh, providences, I'll, I'll use the word providence. <laughs> I have, we have a lot of amazing providences, um, probably similar to most people up here. Um, But we really at the same time began discovering the doctrines of grace and then which eventually moved into full-fledged covenant theology which um, any of you that have experienced that um, it just kind of like blew blew everything wide open from the scripture, understanding the scriptures in a new way, just loving the Bible and and God's people Um, and so about that time I began to uh, have pastors begin to encourage me to do something with all of the study. I was doing a lot of Bible study, a lot of theology study at the time, and um, began to become, be encouraged by, by pastors. One pastor in particular encouraged me to go to seminary, which I did um, while working full-time. So as one of the early graduates of Westminster, not uh, Westminster, there you go, you've head. got it in my head. Uh, Reformed Theological Seminary. Um, I was one of their, their early graduates of their distance education program because I was living here I'm doing, uh, doing it on the side while I was working full time. But that was a tremendous blessing, exciting time of spiritual growth for me. Um, and at the time we were at um, Emmanuel here in Chelmsford. And um, I also had a pastor, couple pastors there that were encouraging me to use my gifts in the church, so began teaching adult Sunday school classes, um, and uh, we, we were small group leaders for years in, in that church, um, doing Bible, small group Bible studies and things like that. And then we um, had our kids, and uh, that was a whole new phase of our life. And we became convicted that we needed to be in a Presbyterian church because um, we had all of our kids baptized. Um, and so we ended up um, moving to uh, Amoskeag Presbyterian Church in Manchester, New Hampshire, uh, which was about a 45-minute drive for us, but uh, it was well worth it at the time. And um, we uh, had, uh, again, amazing opportunities to serve there. Um, it was really uh, a joyful time for us to be in a fellowship like that up there, and um, uh, God continued to work in my life to serve, you know, to have a hunger to serve the church, and um, it was a- actually right after we moved there is when I, cr- I um, graduated with my master's degree from RTS, and Uh, began teaching in that church, teaching adult Sunday school, um, men's breakfasts, and um, was nominated to go through the training as an elder. So I went through a year of training there and then served as an elder in that church for about 10 years um, until we um, moved to Redeemer. So we eventually what happened with our experience there was the... um, the, the distance was really hindering us, our involvement in the church with our kids in the youth group. Um, it was very hard for us to be hospitable because everybody lived an hour away. Um, so we began to, to lo- look around locally um, for a, a match and um, ended up at Redeemer. Um, but it, it was a great time for us, a lot of um, spiritual growth in our family at that time, um, I, I didn't mention that we, we were, I was also the co-leader of our nursing home ministry, leading worship services at the nursing home, and my whole, our whole family really um, participated in that. The kids played the piano and accompanied hymns, and Cynthia was doing all kinds of stuff, so um, it was a, really a family uh, effort. But, um, so yeah, the Lord uh, just gave us lots of opportunities to serve and to fellowship with his people there. But we came to um, Redeemer and um, it's very similar to our experience uh, up, up at Amiskeg. Um We we love the church here, love the church family, we love the doctrine, the preaching from our pastors. and um, So we've kind of entered a new phase of life. Our kids are all away at college now while well, they're here back this morning with a friend. Um, and uh, uh, but they're they're gone most of the year. Um, I retired from my uh, engineering position, so I'd been praying leading up to retirement uh, how, how I can serve the church. It um, wasn't exactly clear, um, but I was open to anything, and right about that time, I was nominated to go through the training um, for elder here, um, and uh, I just see it as an, as, uh, an answer to prayer for me um, that... Um, God put this in front of me right at the time when I was looking for a, a way to serve him in my retirement with a little more time and energy on my hands now um, that I don't have the work stress. So um, that, that brings me up to today. Good. Thank you. Well, we
0: have about 15 minutes left uh, in our session and I, I did uh, build this as a panel discussion. So far you've heard uh, from each of these men just about uh, God's work in their lives, what he's done, calling them to himself, what he's doing in preparing them and uh, in giving them a desire to serve the church. Now we have some time for questions from the congregation. Questions for these men, uh, questions for this session might be about the process that we're going through, might be about uh, some of their background or some of their desires to serve the church or things they see happening in the church. I have some questions of my own, if we don't have many from the congregation, but Dave's going to get us started, and I'll repeat, uh, essentially, your question, because it is being recorded for those who, who can't make it today. Okay, this is a question for the session. 1 um, Timothy 3.6 talks about not being a recent convert. That's right. That's a really good question. Uh, so the, the question is, referencing uh, First Timothy, the idea of not being a recent convert, and then uh, with the deacons, the idea of being uh, tested and approved. And what does the session, you know, what's our rubric for deciding those things? Any of the elders want to speak to that? It's a question for the session. If not, I'll be happy to take it. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Touche. Yeah. So we've talked through this a little bit, uh, especially and not to put them on display, but but Nick's only been a believer for a few years. Um, I think there is, uh, as you as you look at those qualifications, there are a few things to keep in mind. One, uh, the directive that they ought not to be a recent convert is connected to elders, uh, not connected to deacons. We we don't want to push anybody too quickly into any office they're not ready for. But just like the elders are required to be apt to teach, while the deacons are required to hold the mystery of the faith with a good conscience, there is a a slight distinction between these things. Um, We're well, well satisfied that Landon has... Uh, our only elder candidate has been believer for a long time. Um, the other thing to remember is that Paul is writing in 1 Timothy to Timothy, who's stayed behind in Ephesus. And Paul had a ministry in Ephesus for two years. And Timothy might be there for a year, maybe another two years. So to give a little bit of uh, you know, we tend to measure not a recent convert in terms of decades. Paul is probably thinking of recent convert and more in terms of years. And so just to give an understanding of what, what's the context of what's going on there, um, you know, we think that, uh, again, Landon uh, has been a believer for decades. Uh, we're, we're satisfied with his qualifications. As far as the deacons, uh, Nick is the most recent convert, um, but he's been a believer for several years. You'll notice in the handout that part of our bylaws say uh, that a man must be a member in good standing for one year. I think that's a good starting place. Um, and, uh, and they've all been through a, a whole year of training. Uh, Nick's gotten a sort of crash course on a lot of these things. The other men have been believers for quite some time. As far as being tested uh, and approved, well, we've been doing that for the past year. Uh, we've also seen all of these men serve in various capacities. Uh, they haven't told you everything that they do. And I don't want to embarrass them with everything that they've done as they sit in front of you. Uh, But we've seen uh, a heart for service among all of these men. We've seen them working and serving the church in quiet ways behind the scenes. Uh, And uh, and the session as we interviewed each of these men uh, came to a unanimous decision about each of them that we thought, yeah, these men are qualified. These men have shown a heart for service and an aptitude to do these things that they're being called to do. Does that answer your question, Dave? Other questions, wh- whether for the session or for these men? All right. I've got some questions.
4: <laughs>
0: there was a sigh from the... Uh, yes? Yeah.
4: As long as they go alphabetical. no, 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 no. no, no. I- <laughs>
0: I'm going to give Landon the first question, <laughs> uh, but Sorry. I'm going to give the deacons something to think about while Landon's answering. Uh, so deacons, we're going to come back to this. I want to know what each of you have have sort of learned, not not just about the training, because it's pretty sparse, um, but, but what have you learned in the last year as you've been considering more, more specifically what the deacons do in our church, what you've seen them do, what you've learned about the role of a deacon? Um, what gets you... Excited is not a very Presbyterian word, but I'll use it anyway. Uh, what gets you excited? What are you, um, what are you hopeful about the Lord using you to do in the church? So think about those things, and while you're thinking about it, uh, Landon, you're the pro here. You're the, you're the veteran. Uh, so you you did serve at Amos Gag as an elder for ten years, and so. So shepherding in a, in a flock of God is not new to you. And, uh, and as a Presbyterian congregation, we're already uh, theologically on board with the fact that we are elder led, elder run. We believe in Presbyterian churches that, that that's God's uh, sort of makeup of the church. That's the way the church works best. And so we're on board with the fact that elders are a good thing but you've served in a a lot of capacities. You've been an elder. Uh, You've done a lot as an elder. What is sort of practically, spiritually, for the benefit of the people, what do you think is the most important thing that an elder does in a church? Uh, How how do they lead? How do they shepherd? What should they be concerned about? Okay. Uh, (laughs) You need the microphone, sorry. Uh,
4: Just a small question, really. (laughs) He didn't give us these questions ahead of time (laughs) either, by the way. Uh, Well, two things come to mind. Um, One is uh, leading by example and guarding the flock in terms of uh, watching over uh, life and doctrine. Um, And then the second thing is, I think, shepherding, um, coming alongside people to encourage them. Um, We practiced... um, Family visitation, just like our session does here. I think that's super important. But just being um, available um, to help come alongside people when they um, are in need, um, whether, no matter what the needs are, but in um, having somebody that the congregation knows, or it, we had parishes, which means that our congregation was assigned, everyone, every family was assigned to a particular elder just that the people in my parish knew that I was praying for them regularly was, um, was just there for them. And um, I had a lot of opportunities to um, come alongside people and meet with them and help them through, through some difficult times by really just being a spiritual counselor to them, um, to encourage them and to be, be there to um, provide biblical wisdom where I could. So I think that's a really important thing that the elders do, um, along with the more formal things of guarding, guarding the life of the church, um, which in this day and age is becoming more and more of an important role as well. Um, we know that I know that many of you are facing um, difficulties, uh, uh, cultural pressures, um, work pressures, and things like that that um, are are difficult situations. So I think. Um, you know, having, having a strong group of, of elders um, guarding the church, I think, is, is an important um, thing also. Okay. Just to echo
0: the first thing you said, you, you mentioned setting an example for the, for the church. Um, you know, Timothy, uh, Paul to Timothy says the same thing. He tells him to watch his life and his doctrine closely. Uh, and we can get wrapped up as uh, intellectual Presbyterians with that doctrine issue. But the elders really are also to set an example in life. Uh, Robert Murray McShane, in his uh, in, uh, somewhere in his uh, diaries, uh, talking about his own congregation, said, "The greatest need of my people is my personal holiness." Uh, we we don't often think about that. You know, the preacher's got to preach, he's got to teach, he's got to lead, he's got to direct, whatever. No, no. The elders, the pastor, are supposed to set an example in life and speech, uh, in faith and godliness. I, I that's really important. So you, you deacon candidates have had an opportunity to think. Who wants to get us started? What are you excited? What are you hopeful to see the Lord doing through you uh, and connecting you in, in the church in, in ways of service?
2: Well, I was thinking back to actually what Nick was saying about his testimony about you know, about an iceberg. You only see the, the tip of the iceberg. Um, and, and I relate that to a lot of the needs of the people in the church. There is a, a relatively small visible part of, of needs in the church, and then there's the vast majority of it is is under the surface that um, that we don't see unless we actually you know deliberately are, are told about or we have to look for. And what I'm uh, excited about is actually going underneath the water and and trying to find and you know and trying to, to help uh, you know to help those to help the needs.
3: So, I, I was first gonna comment on, you, you said the training was sparse. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and I, I, I think I can and speak for, I, 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 the least amount of reading we did was like eight to 10 hours per meeting. Um, and that's without time to reflect. and. And being in education, I know that the Carnegie Credit Unit um, (laughs) says that it's about 145 hours for a three-credit course. So I think we exceeded that with the exam. So this was a a full course. Um, And then I was hoping I could go first so I could speak generally about this, this, the other question. But the the goal of the deacon, I think, is is to free up the elders um, to to do word ministry. Um, And... For me, that's that's the key, is just whatever it is that needs to be done to make this work um, and to make someone like myself, five years ago, come in here and feel welcomed and, and feel like this is a place that they can just connect is, to me, is really a strong motivation for that.
1: I thought you were gonna run the time out. Why you? <laughs> 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 uh, you know, I'm really glad we're not charismatics because I think I'm sweating under the arm (laughs) Um, I like I kind of like being in the shadows like you Frank Um, I uh, like I like serving actually but I don't like being uh, up here or having people know what I'm doing But so I'm kind of looking forward actually to um, the commitment and the responsibility, taking responsibility instead of just kind of floating along, um, and then uh, the other thing, I do really, I, I mentioned this before, but um, goes along with what Frank said, the, um, doing more about the needs of the people in the church and the, the deacons fund, um, hanging out with Jerry and maybe drinking on the porch and talking about these things, so, no, but I, I do want to get involved in, um, not, not because I want to know everything that's going on, but I think that's a, a wonderful thing to be able to help people like that. So, looking forward to taking responsibility and helping, how's that? So Tim likes to be in the shadows, just like Batman.
0: All right. Uh, Any more questions? Anything that's come up as as we've been talking and thinking? All right. Oh. Oh, Teresa, I'm sorry, I didn't see your hand. So to repeat the question, Teresa's really happy. (laughs) And and so are we, Teresa. We're we're really thankful for the men that the Lord has provided to lead and to serve in our church, those who are serving now uh, and those who may serve in the future. Well, as I mentioned in the beginning, uh, electing officers is a public uh, action of our church, and it ought to be covered in the public prayer of our church. And so we're going to close now in a season of prayer, That means not one person praying, but anybody who wants to pray, praying. And and what I'm going to do, I'm going to ask, is there a deacon who will open the time of prayer and an elder who will close the time of prayer? Current deacon. John, will you open? And an elder, Scott, will close. And in between, uh, anybody, uh, even visitors, uh, are are able to pray. Uh, Please join your heart and, uh, and your words together with us as we pray for these men and pray for God's direction for our church. Let's pray. Thank you, folks, for coming and being here for this this morning. Um, proof that Sunday school starts at 9:30 and you can make it. Wasn't it wonderful? Wasn't it wonderful? We'd love to see you every week. Rob, um, the mechanics of voting. Uh, all of these men are before you. We will encourage you to uh, to elect all of them if that's will of the body. Uh, but there will be a, a closed ballot, secret ballot that we'll uh, have on. Uh, Sunday after worship on the night. That's correct. Thank you. We
2: we to to right?
0: Yes, you, you, oh, yes.
2: Vote early and vote often.
0: Yeah.